Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Welcome back to the Journey Church Midweek Podcast. This week, uh, I've got two guests, although one of them is not Mike. He might make himself known, but I'm here with, uh, I'm here with Jim and Tim Roden. And Jim, uh, we want to take some time just to chat through uh, the sermon series that we've been doing. You know, whenever, whenever we uh, think about books of the Bible or topics to preach on, you know, there's this kind of initial study that's done. We're starting to think through what do we see in culture. We're asking the elders. We're asking people who, who are sort of stakeholders of the church. What are you thinking about? What are you hearing? What are people struggling with? What are you seeing in culture? And then we're going to the Word and looking for where God addresses those things. And not to say that that's a superficial process, but that has to happen so quickly, and there's so many different things that it, we don't often get below the surface. So many times you pick a book of the Bible to preach through, uh, and then new things, interesting things, uh, arise as we get into deeper study. So I wanted to take mm-hmm. some time. We're two months into our sermon series on Second Timothy. What now has uh, has stood out to you? Has come to the surface as you've gotten some time to to prep and preach at a at a deeper level? Yes, I got a couple of things that are are very much impressed upon my spirit. <clears throat> some of this has come up over and over and again. Um, in, in the various sermons, but um, there's, there's a thing beneath the thing. There's mm-hmm. a backstory. There's something that from the very first Sunday, it had to, to be cut and left on the edit floor, mm-hmm. but it provides uh, just a, a brilliant understanding of Second Timothy that, that certainly wasn't totally neglected, but I just didn't have time to really develop it. Uh-huh. And so I actually have some old notes here, okay. and um, I, I don't even remember who I'm quoting here. So uh, don't ding me for, for plagiarism, but um, the genre of Second Timothy, it says, is at least similar to the farewell discourse, which is a kind of, of genre. Yeah, it's a specific kind of... Of literature, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and many would classify it as such. Uh, there are famous farewell discourses throughout the Scripture, and uh, some examples are uh, Moses. Uh, the whole book of De- Deuteronomy is he's it's a final sermon. Yeah. Because he knows that he's done. It's his final address before they cross over into the promised land, and he he doesn't get to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Joshua at the end of his his leadership in Joshua twenty three to twenty four. Is that the, but as for me and my yes. family, we will serve the Lord? Yes, and, and it's a re- retelling of, of God's faithfulness, and, and there's certain things that, f- that flow, mm-hmm. a certain sequencing of this kind of genre. Another example is David, First Chronicles 28 through 29. He gives a farewell address, and then, ah, this is so important, Jesus in the Upper Room Discourse. John 14 through 16. And some things that help us just understand what is the sequence of this kind of literature or this kind of speech or address. Uh, First off, there's the announcement of a speaker's imminent death or departure. Mm -hmm. Secondly, various instructions to keep God's commandments. Okay. 
Thirdly is predictions of what will happen after the speaker's departure. Fourth is words of comfort and instruction for the benefit of those left behind. Fifth is various appeals to remember what the speaker has taught throughout their life and their ministry. And so when we, under, when we, we look at that, that structure, that, uh, the motif of the farewell address, it fits 2 Timothy almost perfectly. And if we remember this formula, when we read and study 2 Timothy, everything begins to make sense and falls neatly into place. Hmm. And so we, I've been using this, this catchphrase again and again. Um, you took a stab at it. Um, but that 2 Timothy is intense, urgent, and emphatic. Mm. Um, if I can just even tell you where, who, who tipped me off. Last fall, I did uh, a class on the pastoral epistles, spiritual leadership in the pastoral epistles. And in the class, I had everyone read all three epistles, 13 chapters in total, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, every week. And before we would start back up with uh, the lecture teaching portion, I'd say, what did you learn this week? What stood out from, for you? And it was one of our elders, Ken Martin, on one week says, man, I am just impressed with the urgency and intensity of 2nd yeah. Timothy. It's different than the other two. And that was uh, during a season when we're thinking, what are we going to teach in 2024? Mm -hmm. And the whole world is getting more intense. Time, right. we know. I don't know how much longer before the return of Christ. We know it's a lot less than when 2 Timothy was written. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot less than when I was born. And it was a lot, it's a lot less than last week. And so I'm thinking, and, and with everything that happened in 2020 and, and what could happen again in 2024 with the election, it's like... Man, time is short. We don't have time to mess around with, uh, with confusing, extra, um, I've used the word um, non-essentials. Mm -hmm. They might, there's important issues. Certainly we have time for, for important things, but really cutting to the heart of the matter. And I just see this in 2 Timothy that this is his last pitch across home plate. You know, I, you're, you're the baseball guy. I, I know a little bit, but, um, you know, the, the score is tied. Yeah. Um, two outs, three balls, two strikes. So far, so good. <laughs> one, one last pitch. Mm -hmm. Oh, bases are loaded. Uh -huh. Bases are loaded, loaded. You got one pitch, and this one pitch, of course, it could be a, a, a foul mm -hmm. tip, but you're the pitcher. You got one pitch to close this game. Well, sorry, it's already tied. I, so, so my analogy breaks down, but, but the whole idea of like, what are you, what pitch are you going to throw? Yeah. How hard, how fast? And that's Paul. This is his attempt. And so, man, what, what a unique book in the new Testament with that kind of background, mm -hmm. the farewell address. And what Paul says there in, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. So that's just a really impressive uh, thing to understand and to read this, this letter through that lens. Yeah. And it just the gravity of, of that letter. So that's my first thing. That's your first thing. 
one of the things that strikes me is the the idea of time in second timothy it kind of attaches to what you're saying is paul is both looking forward and backward at the same time uh you know he wants to as he's encouraging timothy he's anchoring timothy in the past of his own story in hey remember about this word you heard remember your uh, grandmother and your mother who passed it down and he's he's tying timothy back to the beginning of his faith but also projecting off into the future in terms of uh and and work and pursue and run uh toward christ's return or like or um, with christ's return in mind and i think that's so fascinating because i think we tend to get uh we have this sort of moment-by-moment moment culture where we get locked into what's taking place right now and we forget things that happened before and we forget where we're headed. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we stop thinking about where we're headed and what's already happened, it's so easy to get lost. I mean, I was just, so I'm teaching this politics class that's gonna start on Wednesday and uh, in preparation for that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a week on the concept of Christian nationalism because that's in a, in a lot of the discourse. So I just read a book written by an evangelical historian named Thomas Kidd who is not a Christian nationalist, doesn't like Christian nationalism. And basically the premises of the book is Christian nationalism has been there since the beginning of America. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. interestingly enough, some of the first Christian nationalists were not Christian. Yeah. Like yep. one of the guys he talks the most about in the book is Thomas Jefferson. And I think today we're like locked into, here's where that comes into Second Timothy. We're like locked into this moment where we have forgotten aspects of our national past and we're not really sure what's going to happen in the future. Mm. And the fear of the future and the forgetfulness of the past has put us in this very strange place in our contemporary discourse where it's really hard to figure out our identity as a nation. Mm -hmm. And I think divorce that from america i think that's really easy to do not just as a nation but as individuals mm -hmm. and as a local church that if we forget hey god called us to something in the future and he is forming us and he is shaping us and that's we just finished our service and i ended the service mm -hmm. with uh for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness yep. they shall be satisfied well stated and yep. i think it's so important to remember hey that's a promise yeah that's that christ promised us if we hunger and thirst for righteousness he will satisfy that promise and so we have this, we can live with the future in mind. There have been things that a resurrected son of God has promised us, and so we can take him to the bank. And then we can also think back to our past and tradition and even our, our individual past of, you know, when we take the Lord's Supper at the beginning of each month in those services, we can reflect on our baptism. Mm -hmm. When we have, we need to, by the way, we side got, note, we need to put a baptism. I know, we have a lot of people in queue now. Yeah. Yeah, that's so answer to get, prayer. Yeah, and when, when we do that service, we can think about as as the rest of the congregation is watching our, our brothers and sisters professing their faith go under the water, we can reflect on our own baptism and anchor ourselves both in our mm -hmm. past and in the future, because mm -hmm. in that moment, what are we signifying? We're signifying that something has died and we are now a new creation. And like in your sermon today, well, have we arrived? No, we still nope. struggle with sin. That new creation thing is both an already and not yet idea. And so yep. it's future-oriented and it's past-oriented. And we need to break out. And when I read Second Timothy, I see so much about, hey, we need to be breaking out of just this present moment and be thinking about bigger things. Even the, even take uh, the analogies that Paul uses mm -hmm. in the sermon you preached a few weeks ago about a farmer 
a soldier. Uh, I'm forgetting the third one. Um, soldier, sprinter, athlete, athlete, yeah, athlete. Those, those vocations, those jobs, you will only do them well if you think about the end goal, mm-hmm. and if you think about how you started. The if law of delayed them, gratification yeah. and patience. Yeah. Yep. And so many athletes burn out. So many soldiers burn out. So many farmers burn out because they forget the love that they had at the beginning. Uh huh. Like you know the church in Ephesus and Revelation too. Yep. They forget the love they had at the beginning, or they lose sight of the end. Yeah. They lose sight of the goal, and it's like we need to keep those two moments in time, in front of ourselves, even when we're in this present moment, because we are in this present moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we, as I've read Second Timothy, I've seen so much of that. Like I need to, I need to be more reflective on my past and on the church's past, and I need to be more, uh, I need to be more forelooking about who God is making me to become, Mm -hmm. who he is making the church to become, and what the end state of this Mm -hmm. whole project is. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Um, I've got a second thing. Yeah. And this was, uh, I knew it was in the pastoral epistles. I knew it was in 2 Timothy, but I'm really excited, um, impressed, because you dig into the weeds, the, the details, the flow of the text, and you go, wow, that's how that fits in. Um, and it is that that um, concern of um, emphasizing the essentials, mm, yeah. a, a theological triage, because unity is so precious, so sacred. And the way, way it flows, we, we know that this is an intense and urgent call. Mm-hmm. We know that, that Paul is suffering and is calling Timothy to similar suffering. He's calling him to hard work. He's calling him... To, to put his eyes on the Lord mm-hmm. and, uh, and to suffer well, to be faithful at all costs, no matter, what, no matter what might come his way. And you just don't see this one coming. That there's another way that Satan can neutralize the people of God. And that is through these arguments over things that aren't either clear or just that important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, it was, that was last Sunday, and to do the theological triage and to understand where they fit, that's really important. So, so what we discovered is in that is we're not saying truth does not matter right. whatsoever. And in fact, for us, uh, Journey Church, being evangelical free church and who I am, who the elder board is, who our congregants are, who you are, man, we are people of the book. We are a people that believe in theology. We love, we have a bias toward biblical theology, which is tracing a, a, a theme throughout mm-hmm. all of the 66 books of the canon. Right. We do not disregard um, systematics. Systematics have their place and they're helpful. We love doctrine and we, and we care about it. And yet to see that this is addressed in 2 Timothy as yet another potential pitfall whereby Timothy could be neutralized. He could become ineffective. He could fail in his mission. Mm-hmm. He could mess it up. So even if he had the grit and the tenacity and the toughness and the willingness to suffer, this is on the other side of the, another guardrail. Timothy, don't waste your time in things that are just going to end up in division. Yeah. And um, so there was actually an entire page um, 
page and a half of last week's sermon mm -hmm. that I go, oh, that was so good. I'm out of time. And it would be redundant in, to bring it back up again. But a few things that came from that um, and the bottom line of that message was because time is short. There's that first theme. Yeah. And unity is precious. We need each other. Emphasize essentials. Lighten up on extras and avoid nonsense. So I, I did some digging and I used to think this was John Chrysostom, but it was actually Rupertus Meldenius. He was um, during the Reformation. And he is the one who this quote is sourced from. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, mm -hmm. liberty. And in all things, charity. And so we know that there's some things that if we stop teaching or believing, um, the gospel is of no effect. It's emptied of its power. It's emptied of its message. Um, things like sin and the sin nature and that we really are sinful and that there are churches yeah even evangelical churches that refuse to use the word mm -hmm. and say, the pastor won't say, I'm a very bad man. Mm -hmm. or, or the congregants go, don't tell us we're bad. We're here to be encouraged. Yeah. And it's like, you've just emptied the gospel. Um, but there's other things that we go, they're non-essentials. I named one. I pulled one out of a hat. Someone wanting to pray in tongues last week, but um, you know, in those you things. Did, you did a second one. Yeah. I won't say what it is, but I was standing in the back. Yeah during that and as you were describing the second one somebody in our congregation went amen while you were describing it and i thought it's good that timothy talks about this because we might not be getting it. <laughs> yeah 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 um it's a really important principle and mm -hmm. and i had a couple of things here R romans 14 1 as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions yeah so this person really has a big list yeah and we're not supposed to go, stop having a big list. Mm -hmm. Just de-emphasize them and go, that's okay. That's, that's, that's your conviction. Yeah, I think, have you ever seen like a word cloud? I think that's a... A thought bubble? Well, no, you've got like these, um, it's a way of analyzing a particular text through AI. Yes, yeah. It'll produce like, here are the words that show up the most. So yeah, the bigger, yep. the, the more it shows up, the bigger the word is. That's sort of how I've been thinking about some of the things that with the theological triage is hey, the thing that you think is really important, it's probably in the word cloud. There's, uh -huh. there's a, uh, you know, speaking in tongues is in the word cloud. It's, it's in the scripture. It's not super big though. Right, it's right? in the scripture. Like yeah, yeah. And so it's just the, you know, that's kind of, I think, a helpful, at least for me, that's a helpful way to visualize in my mind what we're talking about. Because we're not saying it's unimportant because it it, it made it into the text. And I, and I want you to yeah. notice, um, praying in a, quote, prayer language is not the same as Acts chapter two, right. known languages. So that's why I chose that one because known languages shows up a couple times in the scripture. Uh -huh. I mean, Tower of Babel all the way through, but, but the, the prayer language shows up once in first Corinthians mm -hmm. as this thing with no context. Yeah. And people go, no, that's the best way to pray. And Paul's actually saying, no, there's actually better, better to plug in your brain. Mm -hmm. I do it more than he, than everyone else, but we're, we're and we're going. Is this something that I missed somewhere along yeah. the journey? So it's just a smaller topic. Mm -hmm. um, he, in that text, he's subjugating that to the gospel. Yeah. He's saying, "Don't yeah. do this so much that you you get distracted from the gospel." Yeah, um, I, I edited a whole bunch of good stuff. 
Um, it almost made it back in today, and I go, nope, that would take away from the main thrust. Mm -hmm. But uh, you tipped me off. It's in the introduction to a book called The Rare, View, the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Puritan minister Jeremiah Burroughs. And in the introduction, mm -hmm. it says about this man, and I love this. It was in my, in my sermon almost twice, but never got to the floor. Jeremiah Burroughs combined harmoniously in his own person what might be considered incompatible qualities, a fervent zeal for purity of doctrine and worship, and a peaceable spirit which longed and labored for Christian unity. Yeah. Of Burroughs himself, it was said that his heart was broken by the divisions among the Puritan reformers in the 1640s, and that this contributed to his premature death at the age of 47. So here you have a man so desirous for proper doctrine and so desirous for the unity of the church that it actually shortens his life. Yes. And, and so I, burdened. Yeah. And I overwhelmed. Wonder, I wonder if we... If we today, like if anybody today, that would be said about this in terms yeah. of that, like, are we, do we care enough about the unity of the church and proper theology, proper worship that we fight for both of those things such that we would even be taking years off of our lives <laughs> in order to, yeah. in order to work hard. And this is, I, I you brought up that quote uh, where it mentions charity. I think one of the things that we might miss because we forget what the actual the concept between uh, around Christian charity is. Christian charity originally isn't like how we think of charity now with like giving money to an organization so I can write it off on my taxes. Charity meant interpreting the actions of others in the best possible light. Mm -hmm. And so that's yeah, what so, so you're good. going you're you're having the mind of uh you know Tyler or Jim said this in the sermon or this guy, I heard it on a podcast or I read this in the book and man, I don't know how that sits with me, but before we jump to a conclusion, we go, how, what, what could this mean that I would agree with it, that I would affirm it, that mm -hmm. I, I, and I think today, like Twitter is like the opposite or it's not called Twitter anymore, whatever it's called X. It's the, it is like, wh what is Twitter? It's the world without charity. Mm. The world where there is no, there is no crassness, rudeness, bluntness. Yeah, we we don't give people the benefit. Of I that. have we don't interpret things. Yeah, I have one way. more thing. I know our time's running out, but yeah. this is our our evangelical free church of America DNA, okay. and and actually this is what why I bleed, uh, EFCA. Um, we are people of the book. We mm. love the scriptures. We believe in theology. But there's a, a, a book that was written by, by um, one of the first presidents, Dr. Arnold T. Olson, and it's the second book in the Heritage series, and it's called The Meaning of Silence. Mm. And in this book, he's talking about our originally 12 articles of faith. It's now 10 articles of faith. The last two weren't essentials. Yeah, no, no, they were actually redundant. And uh, it's, a better, it's a better statement of faith. But he says about this in the whole heritage and DNA of the free church, the statement, the 12 articles that are now the 10, the statement reveals an evangelical position beginning with a confession of faith in the inerrancy of the Holy Scriptures and its supreme authority in all matters of Christian doctrine and deportment. Such a statement is not unique in the Christian world. 
What is unique are the omissions compared with the, the other creeds. Mm -hmm. The denomination is neither Lutheran, Reformed, Baptist, nor holiness in its theology. Therefore, the omissions must be considered as carefully as the inclusions. Yeah. And this gives us a, a unique footing in the evangelical world of being these people that um, are able to say, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And then what Paul says in the, in the scriptures, Colossians 3.14, above all, above all these, put on love, mm -hmm. which binds everything together in perfect, perfect harmony. So even as we teach the essentials, talk about and discuss uh, less than essential, or even discuss things that are of theological interest, but, but mm -hmm. just not important. Yeah that we do so in a very loving, generous, um, gracious manner. Yeah. So as not to degrade the unity of the church. And I think that's, that's a good place to end because we, we live in a world in which we're, we're often either far too accommodating or we're far too pugilistic. And I wonder if it's, it's actually when we are able to have and sustain churches where there is a there is agreement on the essentials there's open discussion on the non-essentials that are still important we're still trying to hash them out we're still trying to figure out mm -hmm. the yeah. best interpretation of what god's word says yeah, well said uh and and in that there's a strength that in today's culture which wants uniformity Mm -hmm. uniformity in our churches, uniformity in our political parties, uniformity. There's no dissension allowed on any point of doctrine in these, in, you know, when you get there, you actually have a weaker institution. Yeah. And a stronger church of Christ is a church where, hey, we know what is the, the core triage level one stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're willing to have conversations on the things down the line. I'm interested as we go through the rest of Second Timothy to draw out exactly how we make those, uh, how we make those distinctions, because mm. I think one of the things that I'm worried about in our culture today is that previous generations had good instincts on those because our culture was more grounded in biblical understanding. Mm -hmm. And as, as by God's grace, we see more people come to faith. What we're going to see is people who don't have the church background that the previous generation of converts mm -hmm. had. And so what they're going to lack is that, uh, instinct about, about what they were taught when they were kids at church because mm -hmm. they weren't kids at church. They were kids in, you know, different institutions. And so they're going to lack those instincts. And I think it's going to be important as mm. we continue to look at Second Timothy and as we head towards yep. Easter, how do we use the word? How do we use these the small groups that you mentioned? How do we use the resources of the Christian faith in order to help us understand what is essential, what is important but non-essential, and what are things that we just shouldn't be having conversations about mm -hmm. because they're mm -hmm. nonsense. Yep. But, so with that, I think that's a great place to end. Yep. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.